finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, used to walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand, and another will dress you and carry you, for you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remains, how I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is the word of God. Well, Susan has just read for you the closing scene in John's Gospel. And uh, it is a, a beautiful, intimate story, one which we began to look at uh, last Sunday morning. Um, and uh, we're going to complete our look at it this, uh, this Sunday morning. It is just quite, quite a, a poignant, and if you really enter into the spirit of this story, it's really a rather moving story. And so in this, as we look at this story, I hope you can get sort of a feel for what's going on, why John closes his gospel with this particular story, and what it is that John wants us to know and to see. As we looked at this last week, we saw that there are basically four ways that John is wanting us to see that the resurrection of Jesus impacts the life of his church. This chapter, as we discovered in our last time together, is actually an epilogue corresponding to the opening prologue of John's Gospel. And in this epilogue, we discovered that whereas the prologue told us about all of history prior to the coming of Jesus, the epilogue is telling us all of what Jesus expects to happen in the years following his resurrection. This is a story, these are stories which, this is a, a story which John included in his gospel to give a sense to the, the community of faith which had already arisen around Jesus, something about what it was that Jesus expected would happen as a result of his resurrection. So last week we saw that the resurrected Jesus offers us a new community where people of very different backgrounds come together as a brand new family, and how that that was meant to be a great witness to the whole world of the unifying nature of God's kingdom after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection brought a new community. 
And we also saw that it brought a new mission, a worldwide mission of gathering fish from all over the sea, if you will, when Jesus began by saying, I will make you fishers of men early in the gospel. Here we see them fishing at Jesus' direction and, uh, and the world being brought to Christ through the ministry of Jesus, through his spirit in his church. That the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus brings a new community, a new mission. And the fourth thing, I'm skipping the third for the moment, the fourth thing that, that this story reminds us is that it gives to us, it gives to us uh, the, the resurrected Jesus gives a new intimacy when he said, come and have breakfast. How they could have a relationship with Jesus through the bread and the cup, even following his resurrection and ultimately his ascension, which we will celebrate next Sunday morning, the ascension of Jesus as we close out this season known as Easter <clears throat> Easter Tide. There's a brand new intimacy as Jesus says, let's have breakfast together. We're having breakfast together today, and I think it's quite beautiful that we're actually ending, uh, we're actually looking at a story which occurs around breakfast time. And it was a life-changing story, particularly for the person of Peter, whose story we'll take a look at today, because the fourth thing that this story is taught to teach us is that Jesus doesn't just bring us a new community, a new mission, a new intimacy, but he also brings to us individuals and collectively a new start, a brand new start. Now, I don't know about you, but there's sometimes when you just like to start over, right? You're down the road. Let's just, have you ever been in a conflict with someone and you don't say it, but you think it, oh, can we just kind of start this conversation over? You know, that first word came out and it just was the wrong word and you can't find a new start. The resurrection of Jesus as he was birthed uh, put into the grave and brought up out of the grave and had a brand new fresh start, he also offers to his followers a brand new start. And Peter, that very important disciple, the one upon whom Jesus had said, I will build my church on you and on your declaration of faith, that same Peter had failed grievously before Jesus at his, uh, during his trial uh, and betrayal all of that time, but he had failed grievously. And this story reminds us that Jesus offers, his resurrection power offers to us the beauty of a brand new start. This is a beautiful story of reconciliation, of starting over again, of beginning again, again, if you will, of starting fresh and anew. And many of us, I think, even as we come together this place, we might find ourselves sometimes wondering, is it too late for us? Is there too much water under the bridge? Have I destroyed every opportunity to be a meaningful part of God's family or a meaningful part of God's purpose in this world? Do I really have, will Jesus really welcome me back in? Many of us have had maybe a past regret that even as I say it, it comes fresh into your mind. You're always living with the awareness of a failure that you've made, a, a regret of something you've done, a terrible decision that you made that had horrific consequences, or a broken relationship perhaps that's continued. The ripple effects seem to continue even though it may have been decades ago or a decision that you made and a, a problem that you've gone through. Or perhaps you can think of a, a particular failure in your past that made you feel like you had the 
mark of Cain on your head, right? That you're just never going to be a full-fledged member of God's family, a full-fledged member of Jesus' community and have meaningful ministry. If so, I hope you will listen to this story about Peter and Jesus and see that just as God gave, Jesus gave to Peter a fresh start, he gives to all of us a fresh start in this story, I hope we can see that God gives a new start to all of us. So let's take a look at this, first of all, with regard to this story. And the number one, the opportunity for a new start. What we see here quickly in this story is that as you read through it, and I will take you through the ideas of this story. As you read through this story, you will see that Peter had really messed up in his relationship with Jesus. He had done about the worst thing you could ever do against Jesus. And yes, he had seen that Jesus was raised from the dead. Yes, he had listened to Jesus' teaching. But apparently, there still was some unfinished business in his own heart about his relationship with Jesus. And in part, this gospel of John's story, this gospel that John writes in this, this story of Jesus, wants to let us see that this, the re resurrection of Jesus has a very personal, makes a very personal change in the hearts of everyone who follow him. So what is Peter's story? Well, Peter, as you may recall, was one of the main disciples. In fact, Jesus said, your name is Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church, the rock of his confession. He was meant to be the main leader of the church. And Peter was one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the inside three. He and James and John were the three of, who really were Jesus' closest friends on the earth. Whether he or John was the closest, I don't know. They might have thought about it, but they were both really good friends of Jesus, you know. And, uh, and when Jesus was going through his tough time, when he knew he was going to die, he said to them, I'm going to die and one of you will betray me. And they all said, no, Lord, <laughs> who, will, who, who will do it? And of course, it was Judas who would betray him, right? Judas has already taken his life and, and, uh, as a result of his betrayal. But there was another time when Jesus said to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, this story involves sheep, doesn't it? If you think about this story, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's quoting an Old Testament prophet when he says that. And they all said, no, Lord. And Peter said, no, I will not deny you. And he said, Peter, you're the guy who's going to do it. You're the guy. No, Lord, even if all the rest fall away. In other words, even if all these yokels let you down, you can count on me. I will stand up for you. And Peter, Jesus looks at him, probably sadness in his heart. Say, no, Peter, before the night is through, you will deny me three times. Peter could never believe that that would have happened, and yet the events of that night had so shaken him up that he ended up, as John's gospel tells us, and it's each the gospels tell us, he ended up literally doing what it was that Jesus said. Jesus was brought in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the, heart, the high priest, as he was first taken by the soldiers out of the garden as a result of Judas's betrayal. And it says he went in uh, and, uh, and, and he warmed himself by the fire. So here's a fire over here, and it's kind of not quite the same cold weather at night, right? 
But if you can imagine, there's a fire going on, and there's a trial happening just inside the home. And Peter's not sure what to do. He's warming himself by the fire, and then suddenly uh, this girl comes to him. Her main name might have been Dawn. Who knows, right? And she, uh, she's probably got a water pitcher in her hand. She's probably a servant girl, right? And she says, you were with him, weren't you? And without thinking, he says, not me, not me, right? And then, because why? Because his master is on trial for his life right now. And if he goes, Peter will probably also go too. He might get called in too. He doesn't know, you know. Who knows what we thought about it, but he says, not me. And ultimately, this happens three times as someone asks him, weren't you one, one time someone says, you, yes, I know you. I saw you with the Galilean. Your accent gives you away. I know you're from Texas. Your accent gives you away, Richard, right? That's kind of, that's kind of what was going on. Your accent gives you, no. And <laughs> the things I do, I can't believe it. Last week, I almost fell off the front end of this thing. Today, I... Did a, almost did a mic drop by accident, you know. Uh, but in any case, by the way, Church at the Chip is the craziest church you've ever been to. Today, I have to use a new pulpit because the rats decided to live in my old platform. And Cheryl, she cleaned it out last week. And uh, this week, she said it, they got back in, and it's just too bad. You have something else you can bring. So we've had every kind of thing you can imagine on a Sunday morning, including cleaning. Well, let's just say it was... Let's just say it was not a very pleasant experience there. So anyway, so here's Peter, and he sees Jesus, or he sees this going on, and he does it once, and then twice, and the third time, the Galilean accent gives him away. And then it says in the Mark's gospel in particular, uh, Mark only records this, but Mark is considered to have been Peter's right-hand man later in his life. And it's considered to be the case that Mark is actually recording for us in his gospel the words of Peter, the story of Peter. He's reporting to us the Jesus story from Peter's perspective, the gospel of Mark. Not this gospel, the gospel of John, but the gospel of Mark. But the gospel of Mark says to us, he called down curses. Now, if Peter called down curses, what was he cursing? Was he cursing himself? Or was he, in fact, virtually cursing Jesus, the one that very same night that he had promised, to whom he had promised his allegiance. He's calling down curses on himself. Three times he had denied that he ever knew Jesus Christ. And I think it's Luke's gospel, if I recall, says that after this, the, 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 the rooster crowed. He heard the rooster crowed, and he went out, and it says his eyes met Jesus. Now imagine that. Have you ever found yourself caught red-handed in one way or another, and suddenly you see the person who you have offended right there, and your eyes meet? A poignant moment, and it says that, G that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter had done just about the worst thing anybody could ever do. He had promised his loyalty in a culture where loyalty mattered where honor mattered. He had promised his loyalty, and yet he had failed to fulfill his promise to the one to whom he had promised it. He had done it three times. He had denied Jesus. He was the only one among the 12 that we have told that swore he would not deny Jesus, and yet he was the one who did it. He was the one among the 12 who claimed to love Jesus more than all the rest, even if all these guys 
let you down. I will not let you down. He had made that statement to Jesus. He was the one who had proclaimed his loyalty to Jesus, and yet he had done exactly what it was. He said that he would not do. It would be hard to do any worse than what Peter had done that day. His problem was that he had made a colossal failure, and he had an overwhelming regret. Some of you, perhaps, can say, yeah, I understand that. I have been some colossal failures in my life, and I'm living with some overwhelming regret. Well, I don't know whether it's good news or not to you, but you're in good company. Peter was in the same place. Many of us have stories of either failure or regret, but one of the things about the gospel story, about the whole Bible story, is that all of God's people had failures of one sort or another, and it didn't stop God from using them. Remember Moses, who was the deliverer of the people? He had been guilty of murder as a young man in a way of trying to accomplish God's will through his own efforts, and he killed a man. He had a tremendous in uh, 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 guilt uh, uh, in his uh, in his past, and and what about the apostle Paul, who himself became the great leader in the New Testament church, and wrote half of the New Testament? He continued to say, "I am the chief of sinners because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ." I persecute. He never forgot about his failure, but his failure no longer defined him. And so Moses, the great man of the Old Testament, Paul, the great man who wrote much of the New Testament, these two people, and I could give you many more in the Bible, of people who went through terrible times, and yet somehow those times allowed them to be able to follow God in a way that they otherwise could not have followed him. Whatever your path may have been, whatever your story may be, you never need to be on the outside looking in. In fact, in many ways, that was the whole thrust of Jesus' ministry. He always made the circle big enough for everyone. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they brought her before him, and his circle was big enough for her. They brought, uh, they, he walked along and he found a man who was a tax collector who, was pro, who had terrible ethics. This particular man, his name was Levi or Matthew. And he said, come on, be one of my guys. He was always drawing, and he got criticized for hanging around the buffalo chip way too often. Or wherever it was that he hung out, he was called a glutton and a friend of sinners. And he wore it like a badge. Jesus was always bringing people from the outside in. The only people who couldn't get on the inside of Jesus were people who thought they were good enough without Jesus. Those people who didn't want Jesus. But those who knew how much they needed Jesus, these are the ones that Jesus welcomed. So please, let go of your pride and believe that Jesus offers to you and to all of us a brand new start. That's what Jesus had done for him. Well, what was the path by which Jesus brought this delinquent disciple back into fellowship? What was the means by which he did? Well, that's what's going on in this story. So in this story, we see that Peter, I didn't print the whole thing. uh, If you brought your Bibles, you can see in the beginning of the chapter, John 21, this whole epilogue, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Some of you guys, when you just want to get away, you say, I'm going fishing, Right? Or I might say, I'm, taking, I'm going for a ride. I like to ride my bicycle. I might say, I'm going to go work in the yard. Or whatever it is, you know, I'm going to, 
is there a ball game I can watch, right? Sometimes, whatever it was, Peter said, I'm going fishing. We don't know exactly what it was, but Peter had already seen the resurrected Jesus. We anticipate this as several weeks into Jesus' resurrection. In fact, it may not have been long before Ascension Day happened, which, by the way, is this next Thursday, and we'll celebrate it next Sunday on Ascension Sunday. Uh, that Peter, he's seen Jesus. He knows Jesus is alive. Jesus is already welcomed, but apparently he's just not sure where he fits in the Jesus story, given his history. I mean, it's great that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's great all the things that Jesus is saying, but where do I fit in the midst of that? So he says, I'm going, I'm going fishing. And so it says they were out there all night and caught, uh, caught nothing, when suddenly in the morning, early in the morning, we see that Jesus is standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and they don't recognize him, perhaps because it's still dark and misty, or perhaps because they just weren't expecting to see, uh, expecting to, to see them. Uh, and he, so he calls out from them, this is in the fifth verse of the 21st chapter, Jesus said to them, children, have you had any fish? Got any fish? I, I, every time I read that, I think about my dad because when he was walking along the shore, if he saw some guys fishing, he always said, any luck? If you guys, I don't know, I was never a fisherman, but any luck? That's kind of what Jesus is doing. Hey, guys, any luck? Um, and, uh, and, of course, they hadn't caught anything uh, all night, okay? Um, and he says, uh, they said no. He said, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, he never identifies himself, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord Jesus, he put on his arm, you know, you ever get dressed to go swimming? He's putting on his coat to go swimming. He wanted to go greet Jesus Christ, and he threw himself in the sea and either ran or waded all the way into him. And the others came in in the boat and dragging that net full of fish, and they got on the land, and they saw a charcoal fire in place, a charcoal fire in place. Now, John is perhaps telling this story because he just remembers the smell of a charcoal fire, but he's probably also telling it to us because he told us about another charcoal fire just a few chapters before, and it was the fire around which Jesus had denied he ever knew, excuse me, Peter had denied he ever knew Jesus. There's a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it, and bread, warm bread by the fire. Doesn't that smell good? It smelled already. Jesus said, bring some of the fish. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. There's so many, the net wasn't torn. He said, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, an obvious reference to the feeding of the 5,000, but also to the Lord's table, the Eucharist, the breaking of the bread. Now, this was now the third time Jesus revealed the disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's where the story picked off last week. And then it goes on to tell us that when he finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I can imagine that, that, that it already seemed something like a tense conversation. They, don't, they didn't know, no one said, is it you, Lord? They knew who it was. 
And then suddenly Jesus asks that poignant and piercing and hurtful question. Simon, do you love me more than these? It's almost as if he's continuing the conversation from a time before. Before he had said, I love you more than all the rest. He's asking him today, do you love me more than these? Here we see that the first step in the path to a new start is to hear Jesus' painful question. It was a painful question that Peter heard from Jesus. Do you love me? And he didn't ask it once. He didn't ask it twice. How many times did he ask it? Three times. Thrice, we might say. And how many times had Peter denied Jesus? Not once, not twice, but thrice. What is Jesus doing? He is making Peter remember his guilt. He's making Peter remember. He didn't gloss over his past failure. He brought it to the fore. He was like a surgeon who, in order to heal, had to inflict pain, had to go to the place where the problem was in order to excise that problem. Often we don't want God to do that. We want a God who just sort of ignores our past. It's all right. He's a loving God. He forgives everything. And so if there's never anything really bad, there's never really great grace either, right? In order for there to be great grace, there has to be a great need for grace. And Peter needed to see that as Jesus began to offer him grace, he would offer it to the very core of his failure. So he asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, our past have consequences. They cause pain. They set into motions we hadn't expected. We don't want costly grace. We want cheap grace. But costly, cheap grace doesn't buy you much of anything. Costly grace is when we admit how grievously we've failed the Lord. We repent. We say, Lord, I see that it was not someone else who did it to me. It was me who did it to me. I've been blaming others. I've been living in self-pity. But let's, before we get to that, let's hear Jesus' painful question. Jesus did not ignore his hurt. He went straight for it like a surgeon's scalpel. He hurt in order to heal. He asked him the question, Peter, do you love me? Peter denied Jesus around a fire. They were sitting around a fire. Peter denied Jesus three times. He asked him three times. Jesus claimed to love uh, Peter claimed to love Jesus more than the rest of them. He asked them three times, do you love me more than the rest of thing? The path towards healing begins by hearing Jesus' honest question. So sometimes we need to look back at our past and we didn't ask ourselves, <laughs> are we really being honest about the truth? Are we really being honest about the truth? A lot of us are like someone who would foolishly go to a doctor and say, I've got a problem, but not tell him what really the symptoms are because they may be embarrassing. You don't want them to know. So the doctor starts to treat the problems that are there, but are not treating the source of the problem, and no healing really happens. Often with Jesus, we need to be honest. We need to admit that the truth about it, and that's what Jesus is causing Peter to do. He's causing him to take a careful look at what? 
at probably his pride, at his self-righteousness, at his, uh, his bravado, at his seeking to gain Jesus' approval by saying, I'm better than all the rest. Whatever was going on, the question falls out to the surface. Peter, do you love me? The path towards healing begins with a painful question. What's the painful question that sometimes Jesus needs to ask of us? Yeah. Let's hear then, secondly, Peter's repentant response. Peter's repentant response. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them a second time, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him the third time, verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What's going on here? Well, in this story, we are seeing that Peter is, in fact, repentant towards Jesus Christ because we don't see any hint of self-defense. Lord, if you'd have, uh, you'd have, if you'd have been there, you'd have seen it was, it was really, you know how quickly you can sort of just touch a little bit on someone's heart, heart, uh, hurt spot, and quickly the excuses just come right out. Have you noticed that? Well, if you, uh, and you think, oh my goodness, that's a sensitive spot, isn't it? <laughs> Peter's not doing that. He's saying, Lord, you know that I love you. Yeah, you know that I love you. We'll get to more of that in a moment. And But the second thing we see that Peter's not doing is he's not wallowing in self-pity either. Neither of these are right. Some of us think God is just pleased by us just wallowing in our guilt forever. Yeah, Lord, I feel so bad, so bad. I'm so mad at myself. I'm such an idiot. What a fool I am. We just live in the middle, and we're still doing that. Months, weeks, years, decades later, whenever Jesus comes, we can make the mistake of either pushing him under the rug and saying, it's not a big deal or it's not my fault. Or we can say, here it is, it's all my fault, and, uh, and, and I'm such a bad guy, and I'm living in self-pity. I'm doing my own penance by feeling so badly about the things that I've done. You see, it's an inverted sort of pride. Yes, Peter doesn't make excuses. He doesn't get defensive, and he doesn't he doesn't wallow in self-pity. He doesn't grovel. He doesn't, neither of these would have been right. It's an honest acceptance of the truth. Peter, do you love me? And really what's going on here, in, underneath this conversation, I know it's easy to read it differently, but this is what it's really meant to be. Really what's going on is Peter, Jesus is saying, Peter, you failed me. Jesus, Peter is responding to say, Yes, Lord, <laughs> I failed you. I know the words are, you loved me, but the implicit in the message on that, the unstated question, the unstated answer, Peter, you failed me. Yes, I failed you. And there's even more going on here. In this story, we only have one word for love. It's our word love, basically. It gets used for all kinds of things. But a lot of you will be aware that in the Greek language, which is a far more expressive language, there are many more words for love. And one of the common words was the word phileo, from which we get the word Philadelphia. It means, you will know, it's the city of what? Brotherly love. 
and we might call it friendship love. Now, in all honesty, these words were sometimes interchanged in literary language. That all, you know, but it is very little in John seems to be put there by accident. And here's what's going on. When Jesus asks him the question, he's asking him, do you agape me? That's the original word, and that's the word for, well, it really meant honor, but it became adapted in the Christian language to talk about the kind of self-giving, divine kind of love. So Jesus is saying to Peter, question number one, Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. That's what it says. Second time, Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. The third time, Peter, do you phileo me? Lord, Peter was grieved because he'd asked the third time, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. What's he really saying here? Peter is saying, Lord, I know I don't have the kind of love for you I thought I really had. I accept the truth of that. He is doing what the word confess actually means. The word confess in the original language is homologeo. It means to say along with, to agree with. It means to, simply, to confess is not to reveal anything brand new. It's simply to agree to the truth, to say along with, to affirm the reality of the truth of that thing. And Peter is saying, Lord, I confess to you. You have asked me, do you agape me? I can say, I phileo you. Do you agape? I phileo. Do you phileo me? I phileo you. Yes, Peter didn't just hear Jesus' honest question. Peter, secondly then, in this respect, is he, he accepted responsibility for his choices, for his actions, for himself. Yes, Peter, do you love me? It's the scalpel's question of touching the hard spot. Peter, yes, Lord, you know I love you. It's Peter saying, ouch, that hurts, and yet that's the spot. I don't love you as much as I thought I did. You're right. But I skipped a part of this story, didn't I, if you were following along? Because there's a third thing. We had, first of all, Jesus' painful question, do you love me? We heard Peter's repentant response, you know how much I love you. But the third thing is, we want to hear Jesus' gentle invitation, feed my sheep. Look at the story. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, Jesus was the good shepherd who had actually laid down his life for the sheep. He had said he would do that in the 10th chapter of John. And he had done that. He had laid down his life for the sheep. And now he's inviting this, 
this uh, uh, disobedient disciple who's failed him about the worst way possible, the one who can't even say, I love you as much as I want to love you. This disciple, because he's honestly responding in faith to Jesus, he's inviting this disciple to come take care of the very sheep for which he had given his life. Do you see how beautiful that is? He's saying, Peter, you're in. Come on in, Peter. You can feed my sheep. He invited this disloyal disciple to join him in his work. Jesus is the good shepherd who had laid down his life for the sheep, and now he's trusting Peter, this guy who couldn't even stand up to a servant girl outside a fire. This guy, he's inviting him to take care of the very sheep for which he had given his life. It's a call to Peter to rejoin the family, to rejoin the family, to say, you're in, you're in. Welcome. My circle is big enough for you, Peter. You can't sin so bad that you're outside of my love. All you need to do is to own it and receive my forgiveness, and you can be part of what I'm doing in the world. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, lambs. Feed my sheep. What a beautiful thing this is. But Peter had been burned too much. He was a little afraid now because even though Jesus is inviting back in, what does Peter do? He does what some of you are doing right now. He's looking around and he's saying, well, what about him? <laughs> what about her? He looks at John. He says, well, Lord, what about him? And what did Jesus say? None of your business, Peter. <laughs> if I want him to live until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And what beautiful words those must have been. Because Jesus had met Peter by a seashore a long time before. And he had said to him, follow me. In fact, the story is recorded in Luke, Luke, Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter. Jesus had been teaching and he, they, in the boat with the disciples. They went out into the boat and they, they, uh, 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 he said, cast your nets over the side. And, and they said, we've caught all, we've, we've fished all night but caught nothing. And they said, but at your word, we will do it. And so they threw the nets out and they caught some. This is not the same story. It's a previous story early in Peter's life, three years before and they, they, they catch so many fish that the nets begin to break. And when this happens, Peter has the response. He says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He wants to stay away from him. He's overwhelmed by the, the power and the, the, the beauty of this, of this man. And Jesus said to him, no, 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 no. In the past, you have caught fish, but now you're going to catch man. You'll be fishers of men. Come, follow me. And Peter, in a reenactment of that scene, has just had it happen post-resurrection, post-denial. And he's coming back, and he's just been out on, this, on, this, on, the, on the sea with his disciples overnight. Jesus is not in the boat, but they didn't catch anything. He shows up on the seashore. Hey, you got any luck? No. And he's cast on the other side. They do it, and all of a sudden, they get all these fish this time the net doesn't break, and the, John, the disciple, says, that's Jesus. And Peter says, i got to go see him. He gets his coat on. He's carrying it. He goes to see Jesus. They have breakfast by the fire. <laughs> Jesus does his painful surgery on Peter. He says, Simon, tell me about your love. It's not so good, but I'll give you what I got, Jesus. Jesus says, that's good enough. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. 
take care of my sheep. Peter says, well, what about John? None of your business, Peter. You follow me. I'm going to ask you today to follow Jesus. Don't let any past regret or past failure stand in the way. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose. Don't make excuses and don't live in self-pity, but simply offer to Jesus the love that you have. Admit your need for him. And he wants you to be a part of his world renewal project of taking care of all the sheep, all the sheep that he has. Other sheep have I who are not in this fold, he said to the father on the night that he was killed. Other sheep have I who are not in this fold, but make them one so that they will come to know you through them. They will know by our love. Yes, Jesus invited them and he invites us to let go of our own sovereignty. Lord, you can count on me and instead embrace his grace. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for bringing me in. I will follow you. So yes, the resurrection does to give to us a brand new community of people like Peter. It gives us a brand new mission of going out to fish and to serve people in Jesus' name and a brand new intimacy with Jesus, the one who makes breakfast by the sea for us because we have all received a brand new start by responding in faith to Jesus' love. And if you've not yet done so, do it today. Respond in faith. Now, they came and had breakfast. We're going to have breakfast twice today. One will be at the Buffalo Chip here. The other will be the bread and the cup, which remind us of the tremendous cost Jesus paid to secure your forgiveness. And as you receive the elements, may it be for you a way of saying, yes, Lord, no excuses, no self-pity. You know that I love you. I will follow you. Let's have prayer while we close. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for never giving up on us. Thank you for this beautiful, intimate story of Peter who failed in a way none of us have and yet found that failure was not fatal for him. In fact, that death gave to him the opportunity to have new life by admitting his need for Jesus. We respond in faith to you today. And if we've not placed our trust in you, may this be the moment when we let go of all of our pride in our past Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I will follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.